I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. I, I'm a, I like sports, and, but people go crazy over over a ball game. Now, it sounds cliche. We've heard it a million times, but I was thinking about that one time, and the thing that amazes me the most about people that go crazy over ball games, and I've done it, I'm guilty. It, it, beside the fact, laying aside the fact that it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of life who really wins this ball game, lay that aside just for just a second. Just the mere fact that in the middle of the ball game, and I've done this, we will celebrate something. I've done it in football, and the play gets called back. And what I celebrated as a touchdown wasn't even really a touchdown to begin with. We just thought it was a touchdown. Or I'll celebrate the whole game because we'll be up ahead, and in the fourth quarter, the other team comes back, and I lose. And I sit there, and I, I think, man, I feel stupid. I celebrated for nothing. I jumped up and down over a ball game that the team I was rooting for didn't even end up winning. And they call us crazy when we celebrate Jesus Christ. May I say, at least we know how it's going to end. Now, one thing you can say for sure is I won't have to ever stand and go, boy, I celebrated for nothing. Not when you step across those gates on those streets of gold. You can say for sure, I shouted for something. I shouted for something great. And it was more than I expected. And there's going to be no fourth quarter comeback for the devil because Jesus is going to be the winner. The church is going to be triumphant. The church is going to be victorious. I promise you, you won't shout for nothing if you shout tonight. You're not going to shout for nothing. So get your shouting shoes on. He didn't take them off. I like that. I want to take your attention to the book of James. I do want to Acknowledge my in-laws. My brother did that for me, but I appreciate you being here and my family. And it's good to be here with my brother. And he uh, he's got a lot to say about me, and and I feel that feeling is reciprocated back to him uh, because he's gotten me out of trouble more times than I can count. And uh, okay, I had a mouth on me. Okay, I won't use the past tense, had. I have. It was just worse back then. I've, I've toned it down a little bit. But, but uh, I'm thankful to be here. It's good to Brother Horton uh, here with us tonight. I know he's here permanently now, but, but uh, he, he, was, he was with us up in Indy not too long ago, and then he, he met some... Lovely young woman. She plays the piano at some church around here, and he ended up ended up here. She stole him away from us, and I thought he'd never leave me. I don't know what he's thinking, but anyway. James chapter number one, reading from verse number one through verse four. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, I don't know what he was thinking when he wrote this, but maybe by the time I'm finished we can figure this out together. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience 
have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Turn to Job 14, 1. Job 14 and 1. Simply says this, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I don't know about you, but I've always looked at both of the aspects of that verse with a somber perspective. Few days, we think life is so short and it makes us sad. And we think it's full of trouble and that doesn't sound too good either. But anything that's full of trouble, I'm glad that there's not many of them. I don't want it to be full of trouble and full of days. Few days and full of trouble. The the nice thing is that heaven has no troubles and it goes on forever. So you can complain or you can make heaven your home and make that your destination and say, I want to reach that place that has no troubles and goes on forever. I'm willing to go through the few days now. I want to talk to you for uh, just a few moments in your hearing the real reason for your test. The real reason for your test. Lord, God, as we... God, open up your word and begin to dissect its pages. And God, glean from what it's trying to say to us and apply to our lives. We ask you, God, to anoint my lips of clay. God, anoint my mind, God. God, let me preach, God, with a passion, God. Hallelujah, God, I'll give you the glory and the honor for all that you've already done, God, and what you're going to do throughout the course and the remainder of this service, God. Move in a mighty way, God. God, encourage somebody tonight, God. Encourage their heart, God. Give them strength to go on one more day. In Jesus' name, God, do a great work. Do a great thing in this service tonight amongst us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? You may be seated in the house of the Lord. I'm quite certain that everybody under the sound of my voice can relate to taking tests. One point or another in our lives, we have all had to take various types of tests. In schools, uh, children, students are tested and their tests are given that prove one's knowledge concerning a particular subject. In the medical field, tests are given there to reveal potential issues that possibly could affect one's health. In sports and fitness, tests are even given to determine one's endurance and abilities. Even products in our day and age are tested to ascertain their performance and reliability before they put it on the market. Both humans and objects are tested and tried to determine various things. However, before anybody or anything, any product is tested, there is normally a period of preparation. In school, teachers lecture their students meticulously covering each lesson, allowing those students to absorb the information before they give you a test. I hope on your first day of school, your teacher didn't just plop out a test and determine whether you were going to pass or fail based on that that grade. I'd have never made it through school. I've got to learn. Teach me something first. Prepare me. Get me ready for the test. And then finally put me to the test, it's fine to determine where I stand educationally. In the sports world, athletes prepare themselves by following strict and rigorous workout routines. Products, of course that's a broad subject, cars as an example are often assembled, but not before somebody 
took the time to prepare a unique design of both the interior and exterior features. Everybody and everything has a time of preparation before being put to the test. But for anything and anybody, the test is really where the rubber meets the road. At one point or another, you're all going to be tested. We can talk a talk, we can talk a good talk, but when we're put to the test, that's, re- that's really when you're going to find out what you're made of. Once the test is given, one will discover, the, the, the giver of the test will discover either perfection or it will reveal your imperfections. Tests are tools by which one discovers another's weak, another's Weakness, if any. The test may reveal that no improvement is needed. You ever gotten an A plus? Nobody's gotten an A plus. What's your average GPA? (laughs) Tests may reveal that no improvement is needed. I know I I loved the big smiley face on my papers when I was a kid. That meant I, I, I was right where I needed to be. His was upside down, he just said. His revealed all the weaknesses. It reveals everything you don't know. Whether the test is for a person or an object, the purpose of the test is the same. It is so one can discover perfection or possibly the lack thereof. With this in mind... People wonder why their faith is constantly being tried and tested. They wonder why God allows the enemy to test their faith, seeing as how He already knows everything about us. What's the test for? You know where my weakness is, God. You know where my strengths are. When I said, you know where my weaknesses are, nobody said amen. Let me try it again. You know where my weaknesses is. And you know where my strengths are. Because Luke 12 and 7 says, But even the very hairs of your head are all numbers. Romans 3 and 23 said, For all have sinned and came short of the glory of God. John 1, 43, Nathanael saith unto him, Upon meeting Jesus, whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Psalm 78, David the psalmist said, For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Hebrews, Paul wrote in chapter 4, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him whom we have to do. I'm talking about a God that knows everything about you. He knows your weakness and He knows your strength. Don't think for one second just because you failed God that He's going to give up on you. He knew about that before the foundation of the world. That's why He prepared a lamb. God doesn't have to discover anything about me like some teacher to see where I stand. If God knows everything about us, what is the point of allowing our faith to be tested? What can God discover about me that He doesn't already know? He knows my failures and my strengths and my abilities and my inabilities. And He knows my struggles and He knows my temptations. So if all this is true, why would He allow the faith in my heart to be tested? The answer is given by James in chapter number 1. My brethren, let's read it again. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this. I'm going to tell you how to help you count your temptations and your trials joy, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, and when patience hath her perfect work, that you may be perfect and wanting nothing. 
The test that he allows us to go through is not an agent that discovers perfection, but it is an agent that brings about perfection. I'm thankful for the test in my life. The devil ain't doing nothing but assisting me to become closer to what God wants me to be. Every time he tests you, I'm one step closer to perfection. I'm one step closer. I'm not going to let it kill me. I'm going to let it develop me. I'm going to let it make me. Every time you face a trial, you're one step closer to perfection. Every time you face opposition and you don't back down, you're one step closer to the perfection, to that blueprint that God has for your life. Consider David. You really think it was a mere coincidence that when, when David was sent to bring his brothers cheese and wine at the battlefield, you think it was a coincidence that it was at the exact same time that jerk Goliath was out there bullying the whole camp. Isn't it something one... One devil, one giant can bully a whole camp. And one guy that's full of faith can step out and go, I'll face him. And David was being nothing more than just an obedient, good little boy to his father's command. And he finds himself in the greatest battle of his life. But without Goliath, that would have never paved the way for the women to dance in the streets with timbrels and say, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. That was not meant to destroy David. That was meant to push David into his destiny to be a king over all of God's people. Can I tell you that what you're facing right now is nothing more than something that's going to push you into your destiny and to make you what God wants you to be. So I'm thankful for my Goliaths. I'm thankful for the devils i got to fight every day because they are pushing me into my destiny. Take a look at the life of Joseph when he was sold into slavery. We always look at that story from Joseph's perspective because he was on the side of being, being sold and the unjust was done to him. But then we take a step back and we look at his dad. It's easy because we look at the story from the finished side. But living it, which was what Jacob did, from his perspective, we know that Joseph was okay all along. We know that he was just sold into slavery. We know he went through some, some stuff. But, but in the end, we, we knew that he was set up. He was second in command. We know all this. Jacob knew none of that. Jacob thought he was dead. In his mind, he was dead. And the Bible says, the Bible says that they tried to comfort him. He refused to be comforted. He refused to be comforted. You know what that tells me? How hard of a time he was having? You ever went through such a, such a scenario in your life that no matter what anybody said, you just... You, you didn't even feel like maybe hearing a word of encouragement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let alone hearing someone 
try to be judgmental, you, you probably couldn't even get through a word of encouragement. You didn't feel like hearing from, no, from nobody. And this is how Jacob fell. He was hurting, frustrated, tore up inside. I guarantee you he went to bed every night. Balling his, his eyeballs out. Probably soaked 20 pillowcases with his tears. Wondering what happened to Joseph. He didn't even want to send Benjamin. He didn't even want to risk nothing else. He goes, I can't even risk anything. I, I can't put myself out there now. Time of the famine came. He sent his boys. He said, you're not taking Benjamin. He's staying here. Joseph's already gone. And the second trip, he said, now Simeon's gone. Because Joseph, who they didn't know at the time, held him for what they thought as collateral. Because he wanted Benjamin. Because his vision was that all his brothers would bow before him. And when Benjamin wasn't there, he goes, well, that's not my vision. You better go back and get the rest of them so my vision can be complete. That's another whole sermon. But he's, but all this is going on. His dad's ripped up. Jacob is ripped up. He's frustrated. He has no idea what's going on. All he knows in his mind is that Joseph is dead and now Simeon's gone and, and, and you're not taking Benjamin. But the whole time, everybody say the whole time. time. Jacob doesn't know this, but the whole time, he's ripped up. He's frustrated. He's crying himself to sleep. He refuses to be comforted. And the whole time, God is using what Jacob thinks he lost for a famine Jacob doesn't know about. Could it be that what you think you lost and your frustration is doing nothing but preparing a way for something down the road that you don't even know about yet? Don't curse your trial. Your trial could be getting ready for a big famine that could kill your whole family. In fact, right before Jacob discovered Joseph, his brothers discovered him first. Because the Bible says in Genesis 47, he couldn't constrain himself. Joseph was overcome with emotion. He goes, guys, I'm Joseph. I hid myself. But I can't, I can't take it anymore. I'm him. I'm the one you sold into slavery. Watch what he said. He said, but don't be sorrowful that you sold me here because it wasn't you. It was God. It was God. And listen to what he says next. For what? To preserve life. Could it be that your trial is nothing more than a preservation of life? It's a preservation so that God can prevent something greater down the road. All we're seeing is that we lost Joseph. We've got to understand we've avoided a whole famine that could kill the whole bunch. Preservation. What you're going through right now is preservation for something greater that you don't know about. All you know about is your small little problem now. But it's making a way to avoid a bigger problem 
later. See, sometimes God will give you what you can detect, a problem that you can detect, so that you can discover a problem that you couldn't detect. I've heard of people having small little medical problems. They think it's the end of the world. They go to the doctor. They, they find out they have something greater. Yeah. Well, you've got cancer. We can catch it early. Yeah. You could have got all bent out of shape over this small little problem. It helped you discover a greater problem that you didn't detect. Yeah. Jacob didn't know about the famine. All he knew was he lost Joseph. And we pray. We face times in our lives when we have great needs in our life. Great need in our life. Can you give me Philippians 4 and 6? Philippians 4 and 6. Can you read that for me? Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, we miss this part. With thanksgiving. You know why some of our prayers and our requests doesn't get answered? They are not effective. Because we do not couple them with thanksgiving. Because our prayers are nothing more than just unloading on God on what we need. What we ought to do when we go to God with our requests, we ought to go, Hey God, I need this. And you know I need this. It's a great need. But by the way, thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you that my kids were in the altar last night. Thank you for a pastor that prays for me. Thank you for Sunday school teachers that's planning in the hearts of my children. Truth. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for the food of my stomach. Somebody needs to give God thanks right now. Come on. I'm not bashing sharing your request. I'm just saying we ought to couple it with thanksgiving. How many's got needs right now in your life? You've got needs that are unmet. How many's got needs that have already been fulfilled? Is it possible that we become blind to the needs that have been fulfilled by the needs that are unmet? All we see are the needs that's unmet. And it blinds us to the needs that have already been fulfilled. I don't want to be guilty of that. I'm going to tell you this. Every day I step into the throne room of God, I may go in there dragging myself weak and that the devil might have had almost had his way with me but every time I go in with a request I better arm it with a thanksgiving I better arm it with a oh come on in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving First Peter 4 and 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. There's nothing more insulting to God who orchestrates everything. He doesn't send the problem, but He does allow things. The devil's his pawn. Whether you believe it or not, you can think the devil has control. He's nothing but a pawn. That's right. right. Last time I checked, there's only one king on the board of a chessboard. And there's only one king on the face of this planet. Think it not strange. As, As though 
some strange thing happened unto you. There's nothing more insulting to God than to define something that He orchestrated and He allowed as random. It's come out of nowhere. It seemingly comes out of nowhere. But God allows everything to happen for a purpose. It is to preserve and to perfect. But rejoice in verse 13, insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. The sufferings that we endure are not really ours. They are His sufferings. It says we are partakers in His sufferings. But everybody wants His joy. But nobody wants His sufferings. It's just simply saying, you can't have one and not the other. So keep this in mind. When you're going through pure hell, you can just say, listen... The joy of the Lord is going to magnify this suffering by a hundred times. People always act like they're shocked when they face hard times. They say things like, well, you think that since I'm faithful to the church and I pay my tithes, I give them the offering, I pray and fast and You'd think these kind of things wouldn't happen to me. You want the joy of the Lord? Yeah. You want the sufferings of the Lord? Not really. First Corinthians 10 talks about the children of Israel. Paul's reminded him, he said, you know those people out there in the wilderness walking around, they, they partook of all the same spiritual meat and they took of all the same spiritual drink. But in all of that, they murmured and complained. Now we can bash them, but I've been guilty. We're... <clears throat> and the thing about it is, you think about it, they're out there wandering around in this wilderness there were legitimate needs. I mean, they were... Sometimes we justify how we feel based on the fact that what we have in our life, the, the issue is a legitimate need. Well, it's not a want. It's not like I'm asking for a new Mercedes. This is a legitimate need. How do you think they felt? They're out in the middle of the wilderness. And the Bible says that they murmured and complained. And warned him and said, hey, there's no temptation that's taken man. It's not common to everybody. First, First Corinthians 10, 13. It's common to all men. But God who is faithful with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to, watch, bear it. We think the escape is getting us totally out. No, the way of escape is to help you to bear it. And sometimes I think the way of escape is when He reminds us of what He did for us and all the needs that He did meet so that we have faith to believe Him for the need that is unmet. And you know the difference between a request and a complaint? is a request is always coupled with thanksgiving. If you, uh, if you make a request, but you don't couple it with thanksgiving, it's nothing more than unloading your complaints upon God. So by the way, thank you. By the way, thank you. I know I need healing in my body. I know I need a job. But by the way, thank you. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my church family. Thank you for my health. 
I don't want to unload on God a bunch of complaints. There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. He's not going to suffer you or let you be tempted above your ability. Sometimes I have to look at somebody and go, man, God must have a lot of faith in me. He must have more faith in my ability than I have in it. Because he knows that he resides here. Sometimes I forget it. He said, do you realize you have access to the greatest power in the universe? Don't let some nincompoop tell you that the Holy Ghost in your life isn't isn't necessary. How do you think you're going to make it, my friend? You think you've got that power within yourself? Not hardly. That's why in Acts it said, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. degree of your temptation will never exceed the level of God's faith in you. Romans chapter 8. God showed me this. Oh, not too long ago. Romans 8 and 28. It's a very familiar portion of Scripture. It's a very familiar verse. Most of us could quote it. And we says, and we know that all things... Work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. God quickened me in my spirit. Something about this. He showed me something I never saw before in this verse. You know what the key word in that verse is? The key word, there's one key word in that whole verse. It's not good. It's not to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. That's just who He's talking to. That just narrows down the audience. All things work together for the good. For who? Well, to them that are called, to them that are uh, to them that love God and them that are called according to His purpose. That's it. So that's just narrowing down the audience. So if you don't love God, forget this, because it doesn't apply to you. But if you love God, this applies to you. Because anybody that loves Him, I guarantee you, He's got a calling. And He's calling you according to His purpose. The key word in that whole verse is the word together. Because I've often, oftentimes, thought of this verse, and, and in my mind I thought, well, all this chaos I'm going through, it, it'll work out. It, good will come out of it. All of the negative junk in my life, I thought, oh, eh, good will come out of it. But it doesn't say just all the problems. It doesn't say all temptations. It says all things. Which encompasses everything, both good and bad. All things. Everyone say all things. things. Work together. That word together. In the Greek, it comes from the word synergio, which means this. To help in work, to partner in labor, to put forth power together and thereby assist. So I went on the web and I, because I'm, I'm no mechanic, I, I can't, I'm not a jack of all trades. Something breaks at my house, I'm calling the electrician, the pl- I, I can't do banking, finance, that's fine, but not. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. I wish I knew. It'd save me a lot of money. I know nothing about mechanics. I had to go on the internet and look this up. How 
the parts of a car work together. So I'm going to read this to you. This is what it says. How, a, how the parts of a car work together. Now there's one purpose in a car. And that's to get me from point A to point B. I just need to get down the road. That's the purpose. That's the ultimate goal. But there, there's one, multi, one ultimate goal, but many multiple things that take place to accomplish that one goal. There's many things that's going on beyond just your wheels are spinning and you're moving. There's more going on. Here it is. Turn the key on. Battery sends juice to the starter that cranks the engine. Spark plugs fire the gas that if sent, if, if sent by the fuel pump to the engine and sprayed into the engine by means of the fuel injector, now the engine is running. That's just to get it started. Just to start it. The engine is attached to the transmission. And the crankshaft spins. The shaft going to the rear wheels on a rear-wheel drive vehicle like a truck. The rear axle has gears in it that are at a right angle to each other. So the front of the axle spinning causes the side axle shafts to spin. And now you are moving. Just to get it started, juice has to run from the battery to the starter that cranks the engine. If that does not happen, your car does not start. One thing in that whole process, there's multiple things going on. If one of those things doesn't work, one of those things doesn't happen, the whole ultimate purpose doesn't happen. One thing. Because all of those things are working together. And they assist. And one depends upon the other. One event depends upon the one prior to it. And thus it is with life. Because all things work together. Here it is. You ready? Your trial, it just doesn't work out. But you need your trial because your mountaintops work together with your valleys for one common purpose. I said all things work together. Even my bad times, they're working with my good times. My mountain and my valley are working harmoniously together. For the good. It all depends upon whose purpose you're wanting to fulfill. Because the devil can send you the same issue, but he's got another purpose. But God says, no, not if they love me, not if they're called. All things are going to work together for the good. You need to take joy in your trial right now. See, that's hard to do. They work together. All things. Both good, both bad. Things I don't understand. Joseph was working together. Avoid a famine. But Jacob no, knew nothing about. All things work together. God began to show me, I believe it's in Matthew, when Jesus began to talk about, he said, let me tell you something, boys. I'm not partial to anybody. He said, he calls it the sun to shine on the, the evil and the good. He sends the rain upon the just and the unjust. 
He said, I'm not partial. I give everybody an equal chance. But since we're only talking about those that love him, let me help you. We've often, we've often looked at the sun that he calls us to shine as the easy times. And the times that are good and the times that I feel like worship and the times I feel like praising God, we, we often look at the, this, the rain. It was indicative of the bad times, of the rough times of life. He said, I, everybody goes through times it's just easy. Everybody goes through junk in their life. Everyone goes through times... Begin to show me. Begin to show me a flower. And God asked me a question. And this is the question God asked me. He said, He said, Let me ask you a question. As you envision this flower, He said, What would happen? What would happen if I gave that flower sun all the time? I said it would would dry up, would die. <clears throat> he said, now let me ask you, what would happen if I gave that flower rain all the time? Beat down on it constantly, never giving up. Rain just beating down. So well, its roots wouldn't hold to the ground. It just. He said, now, what would happen if I gave that flower both the sun and the rain together. I said it would live. He said, that's why you go through times where it's easy. But then, out of nowhere, the clouds will gather in, seemingly unexpected. But see, he knows when it's time to pour the rain on. He he knows when you're getting too comfortable because the sun can make you backslide too. Amen. Yes, can. Getting too comfortable. It's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said, because see, all things work together. The sun and the rain work together for the same purpose. And you say in the house of the Lord tonight, can you stand with me all over this building? I don't know what season you're in right now. We maybe have a divided audience. Some of you may be going through times it's just easy right now. Some of you may be going through pure hell. I don't know. But it doesn't really matter because it's all for the same purpose. And they work together for the good. It's not just going to work out for the good, but they work together. You need the rain. You understand? You need the rain. That's why it says in Psalms, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord will deliver them out of all. Don't ever get to the point point. say, God, I know you delivered me from this, but I just don't see how you can deliver me from this. It's all of them. Why don't you lift your hands up in the air right now? I'm speaking to somebody that thinks they can't make it anymore because the rain clouds. Maybe you got rain beating down on your life right now. Maybe you're going through the toughest time in your life that you've ever faced right now. But I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. Thus saith the word of the Lord. All things work together. I guarantee you, it's not just going to work out. It's working together for your good. It's working together. He knows when to let that sun peek its head out of the clouds. He knows the right time.
need to thank you for the rain. We need to count it all joy that we may be perfect, wanting.